Okay, are you there? Yep. Okay. Fantastic. You know, if you're if you're a believer and the Holy Spirit dwells in you, Christ is in you, you, you are also, and you will recognize this, you are a wrestler, spiritually, that is. And and that's how Paul really ends this letter in Ephesians 6 with the battle and he against the enemy against Satan against what he calls principalities and powers and he he says it's a it's a wrestling match means it's it's hand to hand it's close combat it's personal and it takes spiritual energy that is and so he's he's telling you look your your chief battle don't be fooled is not with flesh and blood but but it's it's with principalities powers it's with darkness it's with satan himself who hates the church because the spirit dwells in the believer and he works then through like paul has said through sons of disobedience or the disobedience and the darkness of man and therefore paul says well how do you wrestle and he starts here in ephesians 6 with be strong in the lord well okay (laughs) how do i do that well you put on you walk in you put on the armor of god and first, like we talked about last time, is the belt of truth. It, it girds us. And we said that the, the belt in the Roman world was before they put on their armor, it was something that they, they it kept their undies up, you might say. It kept their, um, their, their inner garments tied tight so they didn't trip on them. And it's, it's where they hung their sword. And so that they could move quickly. They could maneuver if they had this belt on. And so it is with truth that we cannot battle unless we're founded and our hearts and minds are gripped with the truth of Scripture. And now he moves to the second piece of what he calls the armor of God, and it's the breastplate of righteousness. And when you hear that term, you ask, why why is righteousness compared to a breastplate? And then you should be thinking, well, what does righteousness then protect me from? If it's a breastplate, it's guarding me. What's it guarding me from? So if you would, read with me Ephesians chapter 6. We'll start at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Okay, how do we do that? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Stop there. Pray with me, please. Oh, Lord, you are sufficient, and by the Spirit's work in us, Lord, you give us the sufficiency to be strong, not in ourselves, but in the Lord, in Christ. We want to be men and women who are strong, not in ourselves, but in Christ. No confidence in my ability, my flesh to overcome, but strong in Christ. Lord, and so teach us now, Father, Set our hearts ablaze to worship you. 
for the gift of righteousness that we have in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. He crept, true story, over the hill in Colorado. The sun was just coming up, and he pulled his bow. It was a long bow, and he released his arrow, and it hit something that he did not expect and changed his life from that point on. There was a physician a doctor from the state of Alabama, and year, years ago, he and his business partner, they went out west to go elk hunting. And as the mist was rising in the morning, he was chasing a bull elk and bugling. He'd heard it and chasing it. He pulled and released his bow, and he hit his partner right in the chest at 15 yards and killed him. Now, it was a very sad day. The hunter was wearing nothing to protect him. And I, I heard that story grew, growing up. I knew the man who released that arrow. And you might be thinking, okay, well, he had nothing there to guard his vitals. And so he was an easy target in one sense. But what if he was protected? What, what if he did have something guarding his vitals? It would be a different story, wouldn't it? And, and Paul picks up on a similar theme to that in Ephesians 6. He describes the battle that we're in, and he describes our enemy, and you might call him a mighty hunter. That, that's kind of the language in verse 16. And the weapons that he fires at us, he calls them fiery darts or fiery arrows. And Paul says you need to be prepared with the breastplate of righteousness. In other words, guard your vitals, guard your life, your heart, your desires, your affections, your emotions with righteousness. That's the breastplate. This is God's armor for your heart. Let me explain that. I want to give you a Jonathan Edwards quote. Jonathan Edwards says this. Nothing is a more true fact than that the things of Christianity take hold of men's souls no further than they affect their behavior. Did you catch that? He's saying if the gospel has no or little effect on your life and your behavior, then it certainly has not taken hold of your heart. Christ is not there. And what you're left with is an external form of dead religion. You're, you're left with the furniture of the church, not the worship of the church, you might say. Not a living relationship with God through the Spirit that dwells in the heart. It's radically different. Now, God, you, you might say God has given all people desires, right? Everybody. So we have affections, we have emotions, we have love. So you can experience love and hatred, hope. Despair, fear, peace, those things live in the heart, and they move you to action. You, your desires move you to behavior and action, right? They're, they're the source of your action. They dwell in your heart. Now, therefore, when you become a believer, 
Ephesians 3.17 happens to you. Christ dwells in the hearts through faith, leading our actions. Whatever controls your heart controls your behavior. And for every believer, Christ dwells in our heart, the seat of the inner man. So the way then that we guard our hearts, Paul says, which is leading to all of your action, all of your behavior, is by putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Does that make sense? It's it's living behind the righteousness of Christ that guards our heart and our affections, our desires, which then lead to behavior and action which honors him. So here's our main idea today is, and I came up with about five of them, but maybe this is the best one. Righteousness is the road to joy. Okay? Now, there's, there's two questions of this text that we want to see. We need to understand. First is this. What type of righteousness is he talking about? Okay? When we think of righteousness, your mind might be thinking of something different than my mind is. Or what the scriptures say. I hate when I get ice in my mouth. Bear with me. I've got to crunch that. Okay. Is it a moral righteousness? That's first. And what I mean is when you read this text, your first inclination is to think, oh, he's talking about a legal righteousness. It's Romans 10.5. Righteousness of keeping the law. Right? Is that what he's saying? So if I can be a good person according to the law, if I can keep the rules and standards that God has set before us, how to live, then I can then withstand the assault of the enemy. It's up to me. I'm doing it. And let me say morality is a great thing, but it offers no shielding. It doesn't protect the heart. That's not what he's talking about here. Okay? So then what type of righteousness are we to put on and live behind? And it's the very righteousness that was lost in the garden. Okay? So when God made man, he made you, he made man and creation in the garden righteous and holy. But in the fall, in the sin of Adam and Eve, there was a double loss. There was a loss of God's love and likeness. Two things because of the fall. God's love was lost, and and I want to explain that. And God's likeness was lost. Think about this with me. In the fall, we lost God's love. That means the relational love of the Father towards his children is lost. Yes, God still loves the world. But the father-child lost relationship was lost. The relationship was different. The family love. Man no longer knows by himself. The intimacy, the loving relationship, the walking with the Father is no longer there. In the fall, there was a lost love. But the second thing is, there was a loss of likeness. All people were created in the image of God. And when sin entered into our hearts, it broke us. It distorted us. You you can still see the glory in man and in woman. But in another way, we're ruined, we're broken because of it. We lost the likeness of God in many ways. We lost the love and we lost the likeness. And so with such loss of love and likeness, with Adam 
He feels the shame of sin. And so what does he do? Genesis 3, 7. He sewed fig leaves together and made themselves clothing. Notice this. What is his response to his sin? He tries to take care of it himself. He goes and tries to cover his shame with his own doing, his own clothing. And of course, it doesn't. It's no different in man today. We try to cover our own sin with our good works. And God enters the picture. And there's an incredible forecast here, an incredible shadow of what Jesus is going to do. Genesis 3.21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. I, I never picked up on that until this week. I've read that text I don't know how many times. And God is saying from the fall, you need me to clothe you. Do you see that? I have to clothe you. I've got to do something to deal with your sin and your nakedness. Now, how does God restore us to righteousness in his image, in a relational love again? He clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. The very thing that was depicted in the garden. Okay? I want to start with Isaiah. 700 years before Jesus. Isaiah 61. Let me read this to you. Isaiah 61.10 I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. 700 years before Jesus, there was prophecies about the Messiah, the Savior. And Isaiah 61 is such an important prophecy that when Jesus begins his ministry in Luke chapter 4, and he goes into the local church, the synagogue, and he picks up what scroll? Isaiah. What chapter does he read from to say, this is who I am? 61. And he reads it. You see, Christ the Messiah, the King, is the one who would come to clothe his people in his own righteousness. Paul knew this. And he calls these garments of salvation the armor of God. Righteousness provided by God from God, given to you who believe. This restores the brokenness of the fall in love and in likeness, right? In love and in likeness. The righteousness of Christ restores the love of the Father to you because suddenly you are covered with the righteousness of his Son. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. To the believer, the love of the Father is restored to intimacy because you have the righteousness of Christ by faith. But not just that, the image of God. The righteousness of Christ restores the image of God in you. Ephesians 4.24, put on the new self created after the image of God in righteousness and holiness. So when we have Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith, we are wearing his righteousness and we are restored to the Father in relational love 
and in likeness. So you say, okay, Rusty, how do I wear it? How do I put it on? Is this something every day I need to just put on? During the, the bombing in World War II of, of England, there was a story that came out of one family that a man was with his son, and it was dark. And bombs were going all around the house, and he saw a bomb hit in his yard, and there was a massive hole. And so he took his son, and they ran out, and he j set his son on the edge of the hole, and then he jumped in. And he said, son, I'm here. Jump to me. And his son said, I can't see you. And the father looking up said, but I can see you jump. The boy jumped into the darkness, was held safe by his father because he believed and trusted his father's message. So how do we put on the breastplate of righteousness? We believe our father's message, the gospel of grace from the father to you. We believe you have imputed, that means placed upon you, righteousness. What does that mean? It means God took your sinful clothing off in his sight. He imputed it to his son on the cross, to his account. He took his righteousness and he placed it on you in your account to be a breastplate over your heart and your life. It means wearing the breastplate of righteousness, you are righteous in his sight and are restored to a position of relational love and relational intimacy. You can walk with him in the garden again because you are clothed with Christ. His blood has washed away your sins and his life has made you righteous. But there's more. He has restored your image. He no longer sees you as just a broken, sinful ruin. You are restored, full of the Son's holiness and righteousness. So, to put on the breastplate of righteousness is to live, to act, to believe, to make decisions as a beloved, righteous child. It is to believe and live in the gospel. Let's go to our second question. W why is righteousness compared then to a breastplate? I understand what it is now. It's the righteousness of Christ. I'm to believe it on my best day, my worst day. Why is it a breastplate? And the answer is because the breastplate preserves the heart. In the Roman world, there was a connection from vital organs to how you feel, right? Those organs were, were thought to be the seat of the heart, the emotions, the affections. And, and we still see this. If I tell you I have a broken heart, you, you don't want to rush me down to Southeast Medical. You understand what I mean. You understand that I mean I'm sad, right? Maybe I'm, I'm going through a hard time. And so the breastplate of righteousness guards your heart, your conscience, your affections, your emotions. Now, how does the righteousness of Christ protect your heart? And there's two things that we're going to finish with this. First, it defends the heart from the dart of condemnation. So if, if, if there is a real enemy and he's really slinging darts and arrows at you, the first one is condemnation. 1 John 3, 21. Beloved, if 
our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence before God. We are to have a heart that no longer condemns us. One of the great darts of the enemy is condemnation. He wants you to constantly live in sight of your guilt and shame. And the result is fear. Fear to approach God. Fear to serve Him. And the breastplate of righteousness prevents that condemnation by telling you who you are in Christ. It stops the lies and tells you the truth. That you are restored in the image and the love before the Father. And therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It defends against that. It doesn't allow that. Our eyes are to be constantly set upon the righteousness of Christ. And then there's a second one. How does the righteousness of Christ protect your heart? First, it guards against condemnation. And second, it defends the heart from the dart that because you are righteous, you are free to sin. Catch that. Because you are in grace, you are free to sin. One of the enemy's great lies. Suppose you were in a uh, very remote region in Asia. And you went by helicopter to this nomadic steppe region. And you were planning on staying with a family, a herdsman family, for a week. They were going to host you. And when you arrive, what strikes you is all the effort and action and work this family does. And for the first day, you just observe. They're sawing wood. They're going to the river for water. They're butchering meat. They're milking their yaks, which is not a pleasant thing. And you think, these people, they just don't get life with all this work. And so through your translator one night, you're sitting around the fire, and you decide, I'm going to set them straight. So you say, you've been given life. You're alive. Now, now you don't need to do anything. Just sit back and enjoy the gift of life that you have. And they look at each other. And they respond like this through the translator. Action, work, is how we enjoy life. And reap the fruits this life offers us. If we did nothing, we would have nothing. Enjoy nothing. Know nothing. You leave this people thinking, what backwards people? They know nothing of life and its joys. There are three types of graces. There's saving grace. By grace through faith alone, you are given the righteousness of Christ. It is a gift to you. Believe it. Rest in it. It must be the shield over your heart. You cannot earn it. There is common grace. That God makes the rain shine on the wicked and the righteous. That is common grace. And then there's enabling grace. Enabling grace opens her treasure to the diligent by the power of the Spirit in the believer's heart. This is the principle for Christian life. Hebrews 11.6 God reward those who seeks Him. A dead person does not work or breathe or chop wood or prepare meals or milk yaks. 
A living person moves and walks and thinks and fills up our time with actions that are the fruit of being alive. To be alive is in one way or another to have action. And saving grace is not opposed to action. It is a call that now that you are alive spiritually to act, to work, to obey, to love your Father in heaven. So through faith in Christ, his divine nature now dwells in you. And God in you makes you alive to knowing him, also to being active spiritually. And the more action and effort you have in seeking him and in worship to know him, the more your life will bear the beautiful fruits of Christ's likeness. Effort towards knowing Christ is how we enjoy life how we reap the fruits of salvation, and it is how we love the one who first loved us. It is how we grow in our faith. It is how we transform our lives. Grace motivates loving obedience to our Heavenly Father. It does not earn it. Now, how does that protect my heart? Because sin is the source of pain. And the more... He can move you away from sin and towards righteousness. The more he is moving your life away from pain and suffering and towards joy and happiness in Christ. So righteousness is the real road of joy in two senses. In one sense is I have the breastplate of Christ's righteousness. There is no more condemnation on my best day and our worst day. My eyes are to be fixed there. In another sense, I am following, I am living as a disciple. I am active in loving and and learning about him and in worshiping him. And as I do that, he is moving me away from what gives me pain in my life, which is sin. Father, I, um, I thank you for the righteousness of Christ, the breastplate. Lord, and... It's not something to be earned. It's not something we do every day to put on. It's something Christ earned. It's, it is truly his righteousness. And we have it. Every believer who's born again by grace through faith. Because he dwells in us. Well, what an amazing thing. And yet, at the same time, because Christ now dwells in the heart, we have different desires, we have different actions, we have different convictions. And all of that is moving us towards greater joy with intimacy towards you. And we rejoice in that. Oh, God, we rejoice in that. Thank you that you are transforming us from the inside out and taking us to greater joy in you. And thank you also that when we fail and we struggle, yet we still wear and are accepted because we have the righteousness of Christ. All praise to you and your wisdom and how we see it transfigured. We see the shadow of it, the gospel, all the way back to Genesis. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Let me just invite the elders to come.